In today's episode, we're joined by Dr. Carolyn Stigant, a mother, gardener, educator, and climate activist via the development and practice of environmentally sustainable kidney care. She completed her nephrology training at the University of Toronto, then obtained a Master of Health Science degree in epidemiologic research in CKD as a recipient of a Kidney Foundation of Canada Biomedical Fellowship. She conceived and delivers the undergraduate UBC medical lecture, The Climate Crisis, Planetary Health and Medical Practice, A Call to Action. She is a physician lead on the Climate Change Steering Committee at Island Health, a co-investigator with UBC Planetary Healthcare Lab to study environmental impact of kidney therapies, and inaugural chair of the Sustainable Nephrology Action Planning, SNAP Committee, of the Canadian Society of Nephrology. Dr. Sagant is proud to represent the CSN in the Green K, Global Environmental Evolution in Nephrology and Kidney Care Initiative of the ISN. An enduring vision is the alignment of medical practice with planetary health principles. Welcome, Dr. Stigand. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Great. So let's start by defining what is environmentally sustainable kidney care. Yeah. So uh, historically, the, the term that's been used most often is green nephrology. And uh, as we're embarking on, I would say, the, the really scientific study of this area, um, we realize that, that a term environmentally sustainable kidney care speaks accurately to what we do and I think addresses the legitimacy of this scientific endeavor. So um, when I was first asked what this was, I realized it wasn't actually defined anywhere. I think we have an intuitive sense of, of what it is. Um, and I think it usually deals with waste products and disposal of, of waste from usually from dialysis is, is what people think about. But I came up with this um, definition of environmentally sustainable kidney care, which uh, will likely morph over time. But think of it as conversations, processes, products, practice and advocacy for optimal health of individuals at risk of or living with kidney disease that functions through climate resilient systems to provide cost efficient care at lowest environmental environmental cost with a goal of attaining zero waste carbon neutral care. And really, this is an ideal that we want to see embedded throughout all of kidney care, not to be addressed as an optional extra. Right. And a lot of that advocacy is what we're hoping to do today and to spread the word. Yes, exactly. And to initiate the conversation. And and I, I think it's really important that that definition starts with conversations because that's the stage that we're at. There's so much awareness that is necessary. Absolutely. So what are the Canadian initiatives in uh, environmentally sustainable kidney care? Um, specifically in my introduction, I mentioned CSN SNAP Committee and SNAP's Cascades Collaboration. So what work has been done as of now? Yeah. So our Sustainable Nephrology Action Planning Committee has been working for about a year and a half now. And our first action was to define vision and mission statements. Um, our vision being kidney and planetary health through sustainable nephrology practice, and our mission being to educate, innovate, and advocate for sustainable kidney care. I really like all of the verbs in um, that mission statement. We've got a lot of items that we'd like to, to achieve. And I think it's really at this stage building a community of practice and recognizing that a culture shift needs to happen uh, within our care systems. So uh, SNAP has been busy thus far. We've um, signed on uh, as the first nephrology organization that, that I'm aware of worldwide to the Sao Paulo Declaration on Planetary Health. Um, we've published a climate change statement. Um, we have completed a sustainable kidney care survey that was addressed to kidney care providers in Canada. 
stay tuned for that about to be um, presented at um, the ASN in poster form. Um, we initiated a green nephrology abstract prize um, at the CSN AGM meeting. So many thanks to Philomena Picciano. That was her great idea. And I think it really um, raises the profile of this area um, in Canada. Uh, we held a green industry fair where we spoke to our industry partners about what sort of sustainability oriented products and services they may offer and innovations they may have. We thought we should really be aware of what's coming. And I'm very proud to say that we've just had our first patient partner um, join our committee as of our meeting of, of a few days ago. So I think that's a really welcome perspective. Absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. She's she's got a terrific agenda and a, a wealth of experience um, with that perspective and it's a real problem solver. So we're, we're looking forward to learning a lot and working a lot with, uh, with our partner. Um, we published a framework for planetary health and nephrology and we've got, um, I'm really grateful to the Canadian Journal of Kidney Health and Disease for facilitating a guest editorship uh, for myself and Dr. Rajan, another member of our committee. And we have, I would say, a broad array of environmentally sustainable kidney care materials that are currently in development. One of our uh, committee members uh, is working on adaptation work. And I think one thing I, I passed over there uh, in our in my intro and in my definition um, that I meant to underscore was that resilience to climate change uh, is a really important part of this as well. So I tend to focus on mitigation because I want to minimize the climate change um, problem. Um, but it is important for us to accept that um, things are changing and we have to make our systems resilient. Um, and in that vein, preventing disease, preventing progression of disease is much more resilient than dealing with end-stage disease. Right. And and as you were just saying in the first part, it is a lot of communication. It, this what you're doing is communicating with patient partners and uh, and other groups across the country and across the world and, um, you know, industry and things like that. That's really, I think, very important for laying the groundwork for what you can do in the future. Thank you. Yes, agree. And I, I, I want to also mention our important collaboration with Cascades Canada. So I think many within the kidney world have not heard of Cascades. It stands for Creating a Sustainable Canadian Health System in a Climate Crisis. CascadesCanada.ca is their website, and they have a terrific um, range of materials to support environmental sustainability across the spectrum of care, not just kidney care, but we're delighted to be collaborating with them. Um, we've made, um, and they have posted a starting plan called 10 Steps to Sustainability, so it's meant to be an approachable structure that people can look at about how to get started with sustainability initiatives in their own programs. So um, a big shout out to them for their work and collaboration. We've really appreciated the amplification of the message and their expertise as well. Great. And yeah. so that's all happening within Canada, but you're also yeah. involved in the initiative within the International Society of Nephrology, Green K, and that initiative, what has been their work so far? Yeah, so Green K is uh, also, I would say, in its infancy, and thus far, there are work streams that are defined, and there is a steering committee that is defined. The, those are sort of the outwardly obvious products thus far. There's a lot of discussion about uh, deliverables and education and a network. So I would say 
very similar vision and mission statements um, to what we have for SNAP. Uh, and this is really an international movement um, for the development of climate resilient kidney care systems. The three work streams are really based upon uh, the foundations of the UK Kidney Association and NHS sustainability. Um, and that's education. Here, education comes up as uh, first again. Um, procurement, infrastructure, and innovation, and the third being sustainable clinical pathways. So our steering committee is very fortunate to work with a really enthusiastic group of young nephrologists um, in the Emerging Leaders Program, and they've taken on environmentally sustainable kidney care as a major area of interest and professional development. So they've got a series of articles um, and educational materials coming out. So I think there will be, we'll hear a lot more about uh, Green K in the months to come. And that will be coming up as well in the WCN, the World Congress of Nephrology meeting in Argentina. Sounds It's exciting to be a part of this as it's starting now, and then hearing about it as, as we're moving forward. I think specifically you and I being in BC, um, we are kind of seen as the more environmentally conscious of the provinces. I think sometimes we get that, you know, kind of make fun of us sometimes uh, across the country, but we are kind of seen as that. But in your work across the country, across the world, I'm sorry, how does Canada compare to the other countries in our practice of environmentally sustainable kidney care? Because although I know we probably hope that we're, we're good, I'm sure there's many more who have been tackling this issue for longer. Yeah, that's that's actually the case. But perhaps before we move internationally, I would just like to address that point within Canada, because you're right that there is a lot of variability within the country. And I find, you know, it's the bigger centers for now, and it, it may be through this affiliation with Cascades, the Planetary Healthcare Lab at UBC, um, the Center for Sustainable Health Systems at University of Toronto, um, and an analogous program at uh, Dalhousie called the Healthy Populations Institute are the three main centers. And so I think these are programs that have a broad range of people with expertise in environmentally sustainable care and systems. And the local geographic um, care regions really benefit from that expertise. So within BC, there's even variability because the lower mainland regions um, are the catchment area of BC Green Care. And BC Green Care has wonderful resources on their website, but it's not necessarily a provincial program. I know Ontario has Peach Health Ontario, and it's, it looks like a really, really wonderful network. So I would say that there's centers of planetary health expertise that regions within Canada benefit from, certainly not to the intentional exclusion of other areas, um, but their direct communications are with their local community. So you know, in, in nephrology, we certainly benefit um, from learnings um, there. And in terms of internationally, thanks to SNAP, thanks to a lot of advocacy from the CSN, um, thanks to our uh, guest editorship at our CJKHD, and a lot of people working hard on this problem, I think it would be reasonable to say that we're organizationally on par with most of the leading countries in this field. 
Um, the other major areas of leadership, including Australia and New Zealand, continental Europe, but everyone really is behind the uh, overarching leaders in the field, which are our UK uh, and NHS colleagues. Um, they developed a lot of this material. It's frustrating, um, but we're operationally, I would say, quite behind where a lot of these uh, other areas are, despite there being these pockets of expertise and practice change locally. Quebec, I know, is, uh, I didn't mention Quebec, but I do know that they're very tuned into this, um, and I believe they have their regional supports and expertise. And I look forward to seeing this develop. We're hopefully going to have a forum at the upcoming CSN meeting where we'll have a platform to educate the community and let them know about a lot of the progress that's being made and a lot of the leadership that's taking place within Canada because um, we haven't had a chance to communicate this really in a major way with our community yet. Yeah, and CSN is, is a great place to be because that's, you know, a lot of people from from all um, across the country come and then they can, you know, take it back to their own center and, and spread the word, right? That's the hope. And thank you for this podcast as well. Yeah, that's what we're doing. So this is all well and great, but why why now? Why has CSN and, and ISN also created these committees? And what do you think was the impetus to really get them moving forward? Because we know we've all heard about the climate crisis for at least most of my life, the last 20 years, I would say. It's been, you know, in the consciousness. So what pushed it to now? Yeah, I think our systems reflect our priorities. Mm. And so I think that climate change has become a priority. And I read something recently that really resonated with me. And, and I think you've just echoed and that's that we've heard that climate change is coming, yet somehow it seemed that they would take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> and they have not taken care of it. And I think that everyone realizes that we need to make big changes and that they is us. And so this has to be reflected in our daily lives and it has to be reflected in our work lives. I think the difference now is that we're no longer talking about climate change, but we're seeing climate change unfolding and the horrors that it can bring. And as a community whose mandate is to improve kidney health, we're also learning uh, about how much climate change is a health issue and therefore it becomes a kidney health issue. So it was a great surprise to me to learn that one in four deaths worldwide are related to the environment in some way. Wow. Yeah. And you'd never guess what the leading cause of those one in four deaths are. It's actually, it's actually stroke. And heart disease is way up on that list as well. And so poor air quality is a, I would say novel, but it's been around for a long time. I think it's a relatively newly recognized major cardiovascular risk factor. And uh, therefore, it's a risk factor for kidney disease progression. So poor air quality in one study was associated with up to 160,000 chronic kidney disease cases in Canada. So we have to be health advocates in this way, and this is directly applicable to the care that we provide for patients. So aligning our systems, which are also highly polluting and contribute to this climate crisis, really becomes a patient care act. Yeah, and I think the, those numbers are wild, but also um, those of us in the West, well, I mean, you know, they had fires out in Nova Scotia this year as well, we heard about, but um, particularly us in BC and Alberta, air quality was so poor over the summer, pretty much from like May to, you know, 
this month um, to September that you don't really think about it. And I think that was one of the things is that we don't really notice climate change until it's every year there's a forest fire. Whereas growing up, it was maybe every couple of years there was a major one. Now it's just every single summer. It's all yes. summer long out wearing our masks, not going bike riding or exercising outside for, you know, weeks on end because of the smoke. And so that's really sobering to think of how much that can affect us. And, you know, what are the what's going to be the long term? Like what's going to happen to, you know, even people like me in their 30s and 40s or our children who are exposed to this from a very young age all through their lives? Exactly. Um, we, You're right. They are the us. We are the ones that are going to have to fix this now. Yes. So. Yeah. The, uh, our colleagues in Japan um, have done some life cycle assessment work and published that the hemodialysis related emissions for all of their patients within their country, which is around 330,000, causes environmental harm that causes health damage that they've quantified as costing $28 million US per year. So that's a very novel way for us to think about harm of our system to put it into a dollar effect of health damage. Absolutely. Everybody wants to, especially those, you know, that are holding, you know, the, the budgets, they like to see the, the the hard numbers and the evidence for that. So money does talk. Absolutely. And, and, and on that note, I, I should have stated right up front that this is a patient care initiative. Um, and I and I hope my preceding words in the last few minutes have framed that, that this is not environmental care that's lateral to patient care. This is part of patient care. This is improving our care delivery systems, improving the resilience against climate change. Um, it's, it's stopping this feedback loop of feeding the climate crisis, which in turn worsens kidney health and many other aspects of people's health, cancer risk, lung health, cardiovascular health. It's all, it's all together. It's yes. all interwoven. Yeah, it is interwoven. And, and again, bringing that cost in, um, generally, what is optimal patient care aligns with lower cost, aligns with um, optimal environmental outcome. And I wish I could show you the graphic uh, in here, but I'll describe it for the purposes of the podcast. We have in our shared responsibility paper, a triangle, if you can picture a triangle. Um, and at the top of this triangle uh, is the most preserved kidney function and the smallest environmental impact. And as you progress down this, um, this triangle, you get to a wider environmental impact and more uh, higher degrees of progression of, of uh, chronic kidney disease. So starting at the top with health promotion and risk factor identification, and then the next stage down would be when disease is present and using um, non-pharmacologic and then pharmacologic in that preferred order um, therapies to prevent progression of disease. And then if one develops end-stage disease, uh, it's treating end-stage disease without dialysis when possible. So getting someone transplanted as quickly as possible, or in some instances, having discussions if they're better suited to conservative management. And then we get into the net zero circular waste stream, uh, low emissions um, dialysis provision. So it's very much this graphic of this triangle and keeping care as upstream as possible, which can be hard to do when we're meeting people later in the course of their kidney disease. Right. So try to catch them early and be able to move them across without, you know, the end of dialysis, which can be, you know, waste heavy. 
for lack yeah. of a better word, right? Yeah. It's the patients don't want it. The providers right. don't want it. The payers don't want it. And goodness knows the environment doesn't want it. Yeah. I, I think it's also in asking or in answering that question about the why now um, that there are net zero obligations that we have. And I think the right. average clinician is understandably not too aware of these. I think we're all aware of um, the Paris Accord. Perhaps some of us will have heard of the Net Zero Emissions Accountability Act. Um, but that latter act calls for credible science-based emissions reductions plans to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 40 to 45 percent uh, by 2030. And this is directed towards all sectors. Um, so our government has signed policies, they've enacted into law these acts and rules that we have to play by, and it's up to every sector to figure out how we're going to do that. So not only is it a health issue and the right thing to do, but we're, we're obliged to do that. Further, the COP26 meeting had a health agreement that Canada has signed to. So even in a more formal way, not just a societal way, but even within healthcare, um, they've called for the development of low carbon, sustainable and climate resilient health systems. And it's interesting to look at Health Canada's plan for 2023 and 2024 to advance sustainable development goals, um, including responsible consumption and production, climate action, good health and well-being, sustainable cities and communities, and clean water and sanitation. So it speaks to so much about what we're trying to do within kidney care. Yeah. yeah. And some lofty goals as well. Yes, for sure. Um, so... For you, for you in particular, what sort of research have you done in environmentally sustainable kidney care? Yeah, um, so four main areas are explored, but I would say the overarching interest is in health system redesign. Um, the first major area of investigation was um, with respect to recyclable plastics quantification for peritoneal dialysis. So we, like all of uh, our co-workers who commonly voice the issue about so much garbage um, coming from dialysis care, we wanted to find out, we wanted to quantify how much potentially recyclable plastic comes from PD. So these are the inflow dialysate bags and the polypropylene outer wrap. Um, and it was a massive amount, <laughs> 92,000 kilograms of PVC plastic that's recyclable um, from PD in Canada per year. And worldwide, 30 million kilograms that is recyclable per year. Wow. So this data we have given to uh, Green Healthcare, uh, Canada Council for Green Healthcare locally, um, and they are creating a healthcare plastic waste management community of practice. And so we're hoping that that will be useful data for them in determining how significant the market is, um, even within Canada, um, for recyclable plastics and proper stewardship of our medical waste. Um, the second area is a very significant, it's a really large body of work. Um, and this is um, with thanks funded by BC Renal uh, in collaboration with the UBC Planetary Healthcare Lab and uh, UBC uh, Surgery Colleagues. And we're doing life cycle assessments for kidney therapies. So most people haven't heard of a life cycle assessment yet within kidney care. It's traditionally been the 
area of engineers and environmental engineers in particular. But basically, it's a methodology that allows determination of a broad array of environmental effects um, from the entire life cycle of a product, starting from when its components and its raw ingredients are mined out of the ground through to its use, through to its um, disposal and ultimate degradation. Uh, so there are 17 different categories. Um, we're most familiar with the climate change category or so-called carbon footprinting. Um, and that speaks to atmospheric carbon pollution. But there's many other things that we can study, including effect on water, both freshwater systems and saltwater systems, effect on land, effect on our, our atmosphere, ozone, and uh, various pollutants within the atmosphere. So many different things. And then this methodology is, is really rich because it can give us a breakdown of the emissions by component of the system that we're studying. So for example, we can look at our data for hemodialysis and we can say, where are the greatest sources of emissions? And it turns out that they come from transporting to hemodialysis. That's for people right, who aren't yeah. at home, obviously. And it comes from consumables and it comes from energy. So with this information, we can then go out and advocate for renewable sources of energy. Um, we can advocate to our suppliers that we want um, things with less plastic waste. We don't want them perhaps shipped as far. Um, we want efficiencies within that system. We'd like perhaps biocompatible or more biodegradable plastics. We'd like less disposables, less wastage, et cetera. And we can also look at our own processes for how we can be better stewards um, of, of these resources. So the LCA, um, we're in the really foundational stages of that work now where we're quantifying emissions for all of the kidney replacement therapies. And thus far, we've presented a comparison between in-center hemodialysis, cycler PD, and deceased donor transplantation. Um, that was at the World Congress of Nephrology meeting last year. Oh, earlier this year. Yeah, I was going to say, when was that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, April 2023. Um, and uh, we presented at the European Renal Association a comparison between in-center hemodialysis and home hemodialysis. And we found that home hemodialysis, whether it's um, the next stage, the, the more novel uh, machine or a more conventional type of home hemodialysis machine, the emissions are roughly one-fifth of oh. in-center hemodialysis. Yeah, considerably lower. So again, this really can inform clinical practice. And having this environmental data, we hope it will be of benefit to patients increasingly because I think that they're starting to comment on our processes and the systems that we are providing their care in. And we feel strongly that we ought to steward all of these resources um, properly on, on behalf of our patients. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, because this is also an area that's in such rapid development. And again, the whole education bit that I've written a, a few and, and co-authored a few editorials. Um, I think the most significant one being that our shared responsibility um, paper with the ISN Green K colleagues. And this really 
calls for this to be a formal study, uh, area of study within uh, kidney care, and just creates a whole bunch of initiatives and needs for how to go forward. We also, within the Canadian context, uh, discuss the necessity for environmentally sustainable kidney care. And lastly, uh, thus far is the survey, um, looking at uh, knowledge, attitude, and practice of environmentally sustainable kidney care in Canada. Um, and I want to fully acknowledge Dr. Isabel Ethier leadership on that project. She's um, on our SNAP committee and just a, a terrific partner to work with. So stay tuned for those results. Uh, I mentioned earlier, they're coming up soon at the uh, ASN meeting. And thanks to everyone who completed our survey. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to get people to do those surveys. So big kudos to those that actually take the time and do them. For Absolutely. Time. Big kudos to them. And uh, perhaps we were effective in our messaging, but I, I'd like to think also that the subject area resonated um, with people because we were, we were really pleased with the response rate. That's great. And so I'm um, speaking of those, the audience. So how could our listeners, um, how can they adopt and practice environmentally sustainable kidney care and where do they need to start for this? Yes. I wish I could say that it was easy. <laughs> I think um, the, the quickest thing to do is to go to the um, cascadescanada.ca website and go to the kidney care. Um, we have our 10 steps to sustainability infographic there. But again, these are thematic areas rather than any individual one action. So I think have a look at that, but people really need to wrap their heads around the idea that this is now part of providing quality care in any area. And so there really needs to be system level problem solving and an organized approach. Our LCA data can certainly guide uh, the approach in terms of clinical decision making. And just to remember that hierarchy that we talked about earlier about prevention being really key, healthy lifestyles, um, time in nature, you know, we really think about health differently now that we just need to so urgently protect our natural world and honor our natural world. Prescribing, uh, and actually in particular, deprescribing. Um, and we have looked with tremendous interest at the can solve deprescribing uh, materials, which are available online. And it's just a, a great um, set of tools for a really stepwise approach. And then other lessons learned from our LCA studies. So uh, I've mentioned it a couple of times already, but just to really drive that point home, the hierarchy of um, kidney replacement therapies, um, emissions aligns with existing dialysis prescribing hierarchy and care costs, and that's transplant preferred over PD. And within PD, we, we haven't finalized our data, but I think it's quite intuitive that uh, CAPD done manually is going to have a lower impact than Cycler, uh, which has the, the machinery associated with it, plus additional plastic consumables, um, which in turn is preferred over home hemodialysis, the next stage system, in turn preferred over a conventional home hemodialysis system, and then finally in-center hemodialysis. And another point is that to remember that consumables have really significant impact. So what you procure is going to affect your environmental performance. And what I mean by that is if you buy a a specific hemodialysis machine, likely that'll have a 10 year or so lifespan that that machine is going to lock you in to a certain amount of energy expended, a certain amount of water consumed, which debatably you may have control over with some other infrastructure improvements beyond the machine. But 
also the consumables. And so these are KPIs that some European programs are tracking. And all of these things are really contingent upon the type of equipment that we're using. Another point is that transportation has significant impact. So again, transplant looks more attractive than home therapies, than center-based dialysis. But I think the important message exists that there's advocacy opportunities um, for promoting low-carbon transport to our places of work um, when we work in kidney and dialysis programs, and perhaps to advocate for low-carbon transport for our patients, whether that is a handy dart or a transport bus, which is perhaps electric, or making sure that there's other publicly funded transportation networks that are amenable to patients. Another point, it's a societal point more than an individual nephrology prescribing point, but that green energy is needed to power healthcare. But I suspect that our managers and administrators are increasingly um, going to be looking at this in areas um, outside of provinces that are fortunate enough to have uh, existing hydroelectric power networks. Right. Yeah. So uh, so the infographic uh, is a quick access. Hopefully those points are helpful. Um, I'll say also to stay tuned for the articles that are coming out in our sustainability series in CJKHD. Some of our colleagues are working on sustainability KPIs. Uh, there's a planetary health renal diet. There's a nursing perspective as well. And uh, the final and probably the most important point I'd like to make is to get sustainability on every agenda and to keep it on every agenda. Um, there's actually data, uh, four points um, that are demonstrated to uh, improve the uptake in the practice of environmentally sustainable care. And the first thing is having regulations. So our regulations in Canada, net zero is expected, but it's not enforced. It would be great if programs develop their own um, regulations and, and really stick to those, to stay honest to those requirements. The second thing is having committed leadership and management, and that will involve, of course, um, education um, about this uh, field. Um, the third is the measurement um, and reporting of these KPIs. And the fourth is an activated, motivated, and energized workforce. The UK Kidney Association recommends that at least one member of each team undergo training in sustainability. And that seems to me a very prudent thing. Yeah. So it's it's a bit tricky now because there aren't very fulsome resources for sustainability right. training uh, within kidney care in particular. There's some through the UK which are, I would say, mostly physician oriented, um, but there's certainly resources through our SNAP webpage, a lot through Cascades and the Canadian Coalition for Green Healthcare. Um, another useful site is Healthcare Without Harm, which is US-centered, but it's truly global in its reach. Um, NHS Sustainability and then the Planetary Healthcare Alliance website is also really helpful. That's great. Thanks for all those resources. I can put all those inside the show notes so people can access those websites easily to learn That's more. lovely. That's a great idea. Thank you yeah. for doing that. Absolutely. And so in closing, as we talk about all this work that you've done, we know that there's a lot more work to be done. So what are your future plans in this work? And, and what do you envision as the future of environmentally sustainable kidney care? Well, there's so much work to be done. Uh, <laughs> probably divide this one up into short, medium and long term goals. But yeah. short to medium term, we'll be completing our LCA work, which is intended to provide foundational data for larger system thinking. Um, in the medium term, I hope to be able to use our uh, foundational data to model emerging scenarios of care. So for example, it would be interesting to 
add to the dialogue about incremental or decremental dialysis prescriptions, for example, um, and we could add some environmental impact to that. So there's so many applications for that LCA work. Also in the short term, we wish to continue to engage and inform our community, and that'll be completion um, or further contribution to our foundational cascades work and completing our initial series with the CJKHD editorship and further development of the projects that are ongoing um, with my colleagues on SNAP. For the medium term, I would love for this to be on every agenda of every renal program, that it really be incorporated into our definition of quality kidney care. And I think that will involve having accepted and rigorously derived key performance indicators, which again, we're, um, our colleagues through the quiz committee of CSN are working on, um, and to be able to report and iteratively improve on our processes. There are roles for sustainability for everybody. This is not just for the clinician. I envision a system where the patients are at the center and the patients are aware and can ask questions and expect uh, better environmental processes uh, to what we're providing and where administration, academia, regulators, industry, advocacy groups, in addition to clinicians, have a role um, in supporting quality, environmentally sustainable kidney care. So that kind of leads into the longer term, larger picture, the big green K goal, accountable, sustainable, circular, low-carb, care. But to me, it's also societal issues because kidney care functions within society. So right. I think we have to get a handle on our net zero commitment and our um, need for non-fossil fuel powered economy. And perhaps I'm dreaming, and I've certainly been called idealistic um, before, <laughs> but I, I just really like the idea of um, reduced non-communicable disease via a healthier lifestyle. Um, surely that would appeal to anyone. And I, and I think speaking to the the themes in society. And, and here we are a few days before the um, National Day of uh, Truth and Reconciliation. But I think this is a larger vision of issues of equity um, within our society. Um, I think it would be an important tenet of reconciliation. And I think it's a really important thing to have a reciprocal relationship with nature where we don't just take from nature, but we give back and we live in a much more harmonious sense. So credible science-based emissions reduction plan would be fully enacted. It's a lofty goal. But you need lofty goals. Otherwise, what are we, what are we going to reach for? We have it's to have true. those lofty goals. We have to have something to aspire to. And I think that's a great a thing to aspire to. I also firmly believe that nature is very important as someone who utilizes nature trying to give back because we want it to be here for, for generations to come. That's right. I mean, it's the foundation for everything in our lives. And I think because we live within our structures, you know, our homes, our, our care systems, we, we tend to feel like we're immune to it. And there's that ever-present assumption that nature will always be there to provide for us. Right. And it's a really frightening thought that it may not be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for your time and for, you know, sharing your knowledge and this, all this new work that's happening and hopefully do better for the patients and for our environment as well. I really appreciate the opportunity um, to have this information and these resources out there. And, and thank you for a really enjoyable discussion. Thank you for listening to the CNTN Spotlight Podcast. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at CNTN underscore RCEN and visit CNTN.ca. Links to the websites and articles Dr. Stagant mentioned can be found in the show notes.